chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, uh, so like I said, turn there. If you have your phones and you're using the YouVersion app, I'd encourage you to do that. Um, I will also encourage you, if you can't handle the temptation of your phone, maybe put it on airplane mode so that um, you're not tempted to look at TikTok or Snapchat or anything. Look at your text messages. You can connect to the guest network. It's Exodus 132, all lowercase, all one word. And um, you can connect to the internet, access all of the notes so that you can kind of just engage with the content of the passage. And um, as you're doing that, I want to ask a question. And this is a question, um, periodically in sermons, I ask you questions. And this sermon has a lot of them. There's about four or five times that I want your guys' response. And this is the first one, first question I want to ask. When you are a slave to something, what comes to mind when you hear that? Obviously, keep it appropriate. Um, So when you hear that phrase, like, what are the things that come to your mind? Yeah, Fred. What? Crippling debt. Yeah, like financial debt. Yeah, Jaden. Yeah, no control. Kaylee. Bondage. Okay. Anyone else? Anna. School. Totally. (laughs) Totally true. Yeah, maybe just like two more. Go for it. Remind me of your name. Katie. Work. 100%. Yeah, Allie. Rules. Yeah, maybe just one more. Oh, yeah, yeah, wounds. Sorry, I heard you very wrong. Uh, That's my bad. Okay, one more. When you're a slave to something, what comes to mind? Go for it. Technology, yeah. Being enslaved to something can carry many meanings, depending on what topic or context you are talking about slavery. And many of the things that were mentioned were things that I thought of and, and, then, and then some as well. Um, being enslaved to something simply means that you cannot escape whatever it is that has you in bondage. And I ask this question because the Apostle Paul compares uh, a person's life of sin as bondage. But then he also uses the same kind of mental picture as being a slave to righteousness. And so we're going to read our text and then unpack what, it, what he means by this. And so let's stand together. Romans chapter 6 as Ali comes. Romans chapter 6 verses 15 through 23 in the New Living Translation. Ali, take it away. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you have become the slave to whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God you were all once slaves to sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously... You let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led you even deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves to God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, If reading the text is something that would interest you um, on a Wednesday night, please tell your small group leader so that we can put you on a list and you can um, read the passage for us. Um, 
So as we do each week, we take just uh, the, the text section by section, and we kind of break it down, we explain it, we illustrate it, and we apply it. And so if you were to summarize the first section of this text, which would be verses 15 through 18, you could summarize it this way. You are a slave to whatever you choose to obey. You are a slave to whatever you choose to obey. So um, if you were here last week, uh, you'll notice that Paul begins this chunk of text very similarly to the last chunk. And um, on the surface level, it looks exactly the same, but there are some subtle differences. So this last chunk that we talked about last week describes the idea of a believer continuing to live in continual and habitual sin after giving their life to Jesus. And so the premise of a person wanting to do that is so that, quote, to use Paul words, Paul's words, so that God's grace could cover that sin, like no matter what. And here's the deal. That is correct. God's grace does cover our sin, past, present, and future. But the argument is that if you died to sin, why continue to submit to that sin? And so the context of verse 15 where he's talking about why would you continue to sin, um, is talking about a a believer loosely like dabbling in sin. So this is what, what Paul means when he says, does that mean we can go on sinning? Sinning is this active um, tense of the word sin. And so Paul will unpack whether or not, quote, dabbling in sin is compatible with the Christian life. And so he's made it clear that continual unrepentant sin is incompatible with the Christian life. We learned that last week with the first part of chapter six. And so this is where Paul will begin to use Use a metaphor of slavery to describe his point. Verse 16, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. So you must continue to devote your life to whatever you choose to devote your life to. And here's what I mean by that. If you choose to devote your life to popularity, You will be enslaved to the opinions of others. Every decision that you make is based on what another person will think about you. If you devote yourself to academics and athletics, I'm talking to like an unhealthy level, you will be enslaved to to be the absolute best. If you devote yourself to relationships, you will be enslaved to finding the, quote, right person who completes you. If you devote yourself to substances as a coping mechanism, you will be enslaved to those, uh, those things to find numbness and to find comfort. So as you can see, what you choose to devote your life to dictates much of your life. So in in the context of our text, if you devote yourself to sin, Paul says that that life leads to death. But then on the contrary, he says that uh, obedience to God leads to righteousness or right standing with God. And so Paul expresses his thankfulness that the Roman church has placed their complete trust in the words of Jesus. He says this, thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. So the word wholeheartedly is an important word that we must note. And here's one of those questions that I want you to respond to. What does it mean to do something with your whole heart? If you are doing something wholeheartedly, what does that mean? 
This is not rhetorical, by the way. Giving 110%. Okay, what else does it mean? If you're giving your whole heart to something, what does it mean? Yeah. You make time for it? That's great. Yeah. What's one, one other thing? When you're giving your whole heart to something, you're committed to it. Okay, I want to ask the flip side of that. What does it mean uh, not to do something with your whole heart? What is the opposite of what we just said? Yeah, cash. You could care less. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, go for it. To ignore it, especially if it's something important, <laughs> to not do something wholeheartedly, to ignore it. Yeah, go for it. What? Yes, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if we go back to all of those, those answers are, are right, and they're really good. And if you go back to the text, Paul is thanking the Roman Christians for wholeheartedly obeying the teachings that they have been given. Here's another one of these questions I want you to answer. What do you feel it means to obey the teachings of Jesus wholeheartedly? So we've talked about, like, what does it mean to just do something wholeheartedly? What does it mean to, like, submit yourselves wholeheartedly to the teachings of Jesus? What does that mean? Ruth. Mm -hmm. To have gratitude while you're doing it? Yeah, that's good. What are some other things? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Sure. Maybe one more person. What does it mean to wholeheartedly follow the teachings of Jesus? What? Oh, sorry. Yeah, go, Anthony. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's good. Other translations use phrases um, for like this wholeheartedly and the, the teachings. He, they, they also use this um, phrase pattern of this teaching or form of doctrine. And if you look at these other translations, we can we kind of get this picture of a mold. I have a, a picture right here. A mold is um, is uh, something that liquid metal often it's oftentimes liquid metal. It's poured into. And as that metal cools, it hardens and conforms to the shape of that mold. So you have like automotive parts that can be casted, that they pour aluminum into these different casts and it creates these different car parts. Or um, there's different um, things and gadgets that you use and cases for holding things that um, the, the material is poured into this mold. And so Paul is saying that as you wholeheartedly obey the teachings of Jesus and the apostles, you are being molded or, or the Holy Spirit is shaping your soul increasingly into the image and the character of Jesus. And this image of being molded and shaped is also found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, verse 8. It says this, yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. And so we see as we continue to submit ourselves to Jesus, like we are being molded into the likeness and into the character of Jesus. And so being molded by God is a piece of this wholeheartedly obeying the teachings of God puzzle. 
Um, if we if we go back a couple books, or actually one book, to the book of Acts, and we look at chapter 2, verse 42, it says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so what was happening in Acts chapter 2 was there was an influx of people surrendering their lives to Jesus and submitting themselves wholeheartedly to Jesus. And this verse is talking about these people within these communities were devoting themselves to hearing and studying the teachings of the apostles, as well as being in community, eating together, and praying for one another. And so I think that this is a picture of wholeheartedly following Jesus. And as believers submit themselves to the Holy Spirit, their hearts are changed, their minds are reformed, and your life begins to produce fruit that looks like the character of God. And part of what you are doing now, allowing yourself to being transformed by the Holy Spirit, uh, part of what you are doing now by like attending Wednesday night youth or attending small groups or attending our Sunday morning gatherings, that is a part of the a piece of the puzzle of you wholeheartedly committing yourself to the work of God in your life. And so as we move on to verse 18, we see Paul reminding them that sin no longer has power over them. He says this in verse 18, now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. So slaves to righteous living, that's kind of an interesting phrase. We'll talk about that in just a second. So being free from your slavery to sin means that sin is no longer your boss, your boss. So there was this Greek scholar, his name is Kenneth Woost, Weist, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but he put it this way um, of what it meant to be a slave and defined the ancient Greek word for slave by these terms. So like, what is a slave? One born into a condition of slavery. One whose will is swallowed up in the will of another. One who is bound to the master with bonds that only death can break. One who serves his master to the disregard of his own interests. And then he goes on to say this, the following was once true in regard to our slavery to sin. He says this, we were born as slaves to sin. And we've been talking about this throughout the whole book of Romans. Um, Our will was swallowed up and captive to sin within us. Our bondage to sin was so strong that only death, spiritually dying with Jesus on the cross, could break that bondage. We were so enslaved to sin that we served it to the disregard of our own interests, even when sin destroyed us. Now, the following is true in regard to our slavery to righteousness. We are born again now as slaves to righteousness. Our will is now swallowed up in the will of God. It is his will that matters to us, not our own. We are bound to Jesus with bonds that only death can break, but since he has triumphed over death and given us eternal life, those bonds will never be broken. We now willingly choose to serve Jesus to the disregard of our own selfish interests. The analogy of slavery to righteous living is a bit cloudy to us, But reading the next chunk of text might clarify some of those things. Let's start with verse 19. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. 
Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led even ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves to God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you were to summarize these few verses, you could summarize it this way. Sin does not lead to freedom. Sin does not lead to freedom. And I don't, I don't read Greek. I don't know if anyone else in the room does. And so sometimes studying the Bible can be difficult. And so as I was reading um, about this passage, I was reading about how the tone of the original language that Paul wrote this passage suggests that Paul is apologizing for using such a harsh and potentially hurtful analogy. Uh, Slavery within the first century Roman culture looked a bit different than we often think when we hear the word slavery. Um, We often think uh, of treating others like animals or property based exclusively upon their race. Um, This wasn't quite as common uh, within this culture, but it didn't mean that it never happened. And so Paul was like, I'm sorry that I had to use this analogy, but I needed to use some Thing that was relatable to you so you could understand what I am trying to communicate to you. Paul wanted to make sure that his hearers didn't think of God as a slave owner. So he continued to remind them how their sin brought bondage and not freedom, but a life with God brings freedom. And he connects the idea of slavery to their relationship with God, but in a unique way. At the end of verse 19, he says, previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to what? To righteous living so that you will what? Become holy. And so as Christians, you are a slave or under the authority of God. Remember, though, that God, we, with God, we are not under oppressive authority, but instead we are adopted into the family of God, and God is our loving heavenly Father. He is compassionate, he is merciful, and those under Christ are, in, are not Those not under Christ are in bondage and enslaved to the power of sin, which in turn brings more and more sin in your life and into the world. And he goes on in verse 20, he says, you were slaves, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. Um, I had to read this a few times to make sure that I was reading it correctly. Um, and so as I was studying it, um, and I was reading other people's thoughts, it became a little bit more clear of what he was trying to say. So he presents a reality that if you are a slave to sin, you feel as if you're not under this conviction to do what is right in the eyes of God. So remember back to last week, um, because of God's grace, that doesn't mean that get, that gives you a license to sin. Um, verse 20 is a setup for verse 21. He's saying that you feel the freedom to do what you want, but he says this in verse 20, 21. What was the result? So what was the result of feeling like you didn't have to submit to the authority of God? He says that you are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. 
So, so he's saying that this isn't meant to be shameful on his end. Instead, it's meant to cause some self-reflection. So he blatantly asks the, the hearers, he says, how did that freedom turn out for you? Like, what did the fruit of you just doing whatever you wanted, what did that fruit produce? Did it produce the full, joyful, and complete life you thought it would? And oftentimes, as teenagers and as adults, we often feel that if we had the freedom to do what we wanted, life would be so much better. If only my parents weren't so controlling. Maybe these are some of the phrases that you say regularly um, or occasionally. If only my parents didn't have so many rules. When I move out, I'm going to do what I want. The common phrase in my house is Madison will say... um, she will say, uh, you know, when I have kids, I'm going to let them watch whatever they want. And I'm like, you know what? When you have kids, go for it. You can make the rules of your house. She's like, when I have kids, well, I hope I have kids someday. I'm going to let them do what they want. And I'm like, you know what? When you're an adult and if you have kids, you can make that decision. But in our house, that's not how it works. But we all think that. If only I could do whatever I wanted to do. Um, There's this illusion that boundaries are bondage. But I would say, and I would argue, that boundaries bring freedom. And I don't just believe that because it rhymes. We experience shame for what we have done when we see the pain that our choices create. Shame and death are the consequences of our sinful choices apart from from God. So what happens when you um what happens when you live your life to the authority of Jesus? When you submit your life to the authority of Jesus. Verse 22. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. So now that you are with God, your desire to do what leads to good fruit and closeness with him helps you along in your sanctification. And sanctification um, is a big, long word. It's talked about in a lot of places in the Bible. But 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 lays it out. It says this, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what, will, and what we will be... Oh my gosh, reading. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ, now I'm just so self-conscious about my reading. Um, But we know, thanks Kaylee for that encouragement. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And so if you were to describe sanctification, it's the process of your inner self becoming more and more like the character of Jesus. So when you are with God, you, as you submit to the desire that leads to good fruit and closeness with him, you continue to grow and become more and more like Jesus. And so Paul now summarizes the entirety of this section and the entirety of the gospel as we bring this to a close. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. I'm going to invite uh, Luis and Jordan to come up. Um, We're going to close in just a second. But I want to leave you with a couple thoughts. Living by our sinfulness leads to death. 
living by Christ gives us life eternally. My question is this, which life do you want? This is ultimately the, the probably one of the biggest questions you will ever ask yourself and the biggest questions that you will ever answer. Which life do you want? A life that is submitted and under the bondage of sin that leads to death or living by Christ and living free in Christ and having life eternally. Which life do you want? So the big idea is this. You are either under the authority of sin or Christ. The choice is up to us. This is what we're going to do. We're going to just take a few moments. I think it would be a miss for us to provide an opportunity for us to pray with one another um, and to contemplate and to think about this question, which life do I want? And maybe for you, you have um, given your life to Jesus and you have made that decision. And um, I think my follow-up question would be for you of what is your next step in living for Jesus? But maybe for you, there's a, there's a person maybe here that has yet to give their life to Jesus. And maybe as you hear um, the, the words of the text tonight, and maybe you've been coming the last couple of weeks and you've been learning about how our sin leads to brokenness and leads to death and how Jesus lives uh, leads us to a life of goodness, a life of peace, and a life of love and belonging. And maybe for you, you want to make that decision to follow Jesus. We want to give you an opportunity to do that. And so um, in just a moment after I pray, the lights are going to come down. We're going to stand together. And we're going to give you a couple options. We would love for you to, to sit and to contemplate um, the text and maybe the things that stood out to you. Um, maybe for you, you need to pray with someone. Maybe you need to go to a youth leader. We're going to have some youth leaders throughout the room. And maybe you want to pray with a youth leader about what that next step is. Maybe you want to pray with a youth leader about something else. We'd encourage you to get out of your seat and to do that. Maybe you want to talk to your small group leader, um, and maybe you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time. Um, They would love to lead you in that prayer and give you some next steps of where to read in the Bible and what that next step of following Jesus looks like. But we want to just kind of leave it open, not open to conversation, just to mess around. We want this to be a moment for you to reflect on what God has done for you, um, the life that God wants for you, and ultimately for you to decide what life do I want. And so I'm going to pray. Actually, let's stand together and uh, we're going to pray. And then uh, some youth leaders are going to just kind of go around the stand around the room and we'd love for you to pray with one of them or pray with a friend and then in just a few moments I'll come and we will release into small groups. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for what you have done for us. Jesus, we thank you for the words of Paul that the Holy Spirit had inspired to, to share with this Roman church and also to share with us that our, whatever you obey, you are enslaved to. When we obey our our sinful nature and when we continue to submit to that and unrepentant and unrepentant life, Lord, we, we are in bondage to sin. But Lord, I pray that we would live a life of freedom. Live a life of freedom knowing that you have paid for our life with a high price. So Lord, I pray that over the next few 
moments as students contemplate what their next step is. Holy Spirit, would you um, speak to their hearts? Would you speak to their minds? Would you reveal to them what that next step is? Lord, we pray for everything that's going on um, in the lives of the people represented here. Would you bring peace in the midst of chaos? Would you uh, bring love um, in the midst of um, a season where a person doesn't feel loved? Lord, would you bring healing where there needs to be healing? Lord, we thank you that you see us, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.